0: Hi, I'm Dr. Andrea Stover, licensed marriage and family therapist, and you're listening to the Modern Day Romantic Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. Today, we're going to be doing our first initial pass at narcissism. And Particularly in talking about this, I want to not just use labels so much. I want to talk about narcissism as it pertains to one's sense of self. So according to Freud, we all have some narcissism in us. In fact, it's healthy to have narcissism. A, a certain amount of sense of self, uh, sense of me, the, an ego identity. This is really, really psychologically imperative if we're going to be an individual. So we can, I I think that so often when we talk about narcissism, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to uh, say a lot of times there's a negative connotation with it. So that's the first place I kind of want us to start is we're all in search of or seeking a healthy balance when it comes to our own narcissism. And it gets troublesome if we have too much or too high levels of narcissism, but also if we have too little or low levels of narcissism. I think this is a really important thing to be aware of because oftentimes in relationships, these two meet, these two partner up together. And in some ways, you know, the other has what... The, the other needs, or is maybe trying to find balance within themselves, but it can so easily get polarized. So let's kind of play this forward a bit. If someone has high levels of narcissism, then that means... It may, there may be more of a, a tendency to make it all about me. There's a lot of self-focus. The point of orientation for that person is going to be themselves. And that is going to be there, hopefully, with any level of healthy narcissism. But this is almost to an extreme. This is too much focus on the self at the expense of actually being able to be in relationship with the other person. So it, in, in the most extreme instances, this is a, a situation where there's a relationship, but there's only room for one self and it would be that person. And so there might be these breakdowns of uh, you know, no empathy towards the other or a low consideration of the other. And even if there are attempts made by the person with high levels of narcissism to do something nice for someone, let's say, or to uh, do an act of kindness or an act of service, or uh, it it still is coming from their own point of orientation. So it doesn't always translate to their partner then that uh, that was really for for them, for, for the partner. It's like, well, thank you, but that was still about you. And someone with high levels of narcissism is not going to be able to see that. They, they're they they're going to think, no, I did that for you. I didn't do that for me. Because again, that capacity or just a the place they're at within their development at that moment in time, let's say, is not able to see that there is another way, another perspective and a different person, a different person from who they are. So there might be low tolerance for difference here. There may be um, some perceived sense of aggression that the partner might feel that there's an aggression or an overly aggressive self-assertion by this partner with high levels of narcissism. And So I I think you're getting the flavor here, Uh, and and probably many of you have at least seen this play out in some relationship, maybe have experienced some of this. And I I think that it's important to, to see that, but also see its equal but opposite manifestation, which is the person with too little narcissism. And that point of orientation for that person is going to be not from the self, but hey, It's all about the other. It's all about you. It's, I mean, me, who, what me are you talking about? It's, it's, if you're happy, I'm happy kind of thing. So this person with too low of, of narcissism within themselves is giving over their self to the other. So in some strange way they're colluding if they're partnered with uh, someone with high levels of narcissism, like, hey, you do myself for me. You you do this, I'm gonna give this over to you. I don't, I'm not saying this is conscious, but I think this is where when if we really kind of play these forward and, and start to put more language on it. Which I'm intentionally keeping it really simple. But if we were to start to look at abusive relationships, let's say, it's so hard to get out of them, in part because. I don't have the self to get out of it. You know, it's it's like you carry myself for me. Uh, I was drawn to you because of the amount of power and the confidence and the strength of self that you at least uh, portray or I perceived you to have. And instead of realizing, um, in addition to that, that, that I'm also going to be working on developing some, uh, borrowing some of that, let's say, or learning from you as how to be a self myself. I've kind of forgotten that piece and you are still carrying you and me. And because there's only room for one self. remember, in these types of relationships. And so therefore, that's, that's you, you're carrying myself. So with too low of a level of narcissism, in other words, uh, with too low of a sense of self of individuality of one's own ego, of one's uh, autonomy and sense of agency, you can see how it you you might naturally pair with someone who has an overly developed or um and i don't say developed is in a healthy way, but we'll but we'll just keep going with that that overly developed sense of I or sense of self because there's almost refuge that both find in the other oh, I don't have to do the hard work, let's say or even know where to begin of how to develop this self that is me or I don't know how to do the work of you know, being in relationship with another person. Oh, you're not going to require that of me. Great. I'll steamroll over you. No problem. So I think this is a really, really important thing to look at both sides of this equation when there's too high of levels of narcissism, but also equally when there's too low levels of it. And I think we could use the word codependency here and it would be valid. And I know that, uh, you know, some, researchers and scholars have uh, different opinions on that word. For example, uh, they don't, some say that's not pathological. Of course, we're, we're codependent on one another and others, you know, there's, was that whole movement, what maybe starting in the eighties or nineties about this codependency, codependent, no more, those books and different things. So I'm talking about it more from that perspective. If we're looking for that balance of, Uh, two selves being able to be in relationship with one another and with themselves simultaneously. So our co-occurring process, I would call that more interdependence rather than codependence. So that's, that's just semantics. But I, I think we can see really here though, this enabling and enabler, and it all comes back to the relationship one has with oneself And philosophically speaking, we could open a whole can of worms and try to even define or discuss what a self is. There's so many ways of entering that discussion as well. So I'm, again, using general terms here. But I think one thing to really reflect on in this is, you know, how do you define self? What is self for you? How do you know you have a self? How strongly attached or connected do you feel to yourself? you know, a self is something that emerges through time. It's as if the seedling is there from the beginning. And those that know you throughout your life might say, Oh, yeah, you've always been that way. But it still takes shape and takes on different forms or manifestations as we grow and as time uh, passes. And we have experiences that kind of really shape and, and mold us. But this self-piece is so crucial because we oftentimes have to sacrifice one or the other. It, it's just the way it, it feels like we have to, anyways. I have to, I have to surrender my individuality so that I can be in relationship and have a sense of togetherness. Or I have to forego having togetherness so that I can maintain some independence, some freedom, some feeling of of being a me, an I, because we don't know how to do both and have those be co-occurring processes. I do think it would be a little too idealistic to say that that is achievable. You know, it's it's a static thing. Like once you achieve it, it just is that way. No way, Jose, that is not how life goes. There are going to be chapters. There are going to be times where you're going to have to be, you know, more um, relationally focused, let's say, you know, and you make informed choices based on what the system, the whole needs. And, uh, You you may not be able to go do everything that the individual that is you wants or needs at that moment in time, and vice versa. Sometimes you need to take care of yourself first and foremost, even if your partner is asking something of you or uh, really upset at you because they need something from you. So it's it's there's a dynamic uh, tension there. It's it's always going to be there, I think. But generally speaking. I think we can we can navigate that if we have a strong enough sense of self to begin with, and what I'm talking about is instances where we either just have too little of that, and so we're naturally more prone to getting swept along uh, based on the the will or the desires or the preferences of the other or on the other side of that, which is we make no space and no room for the other. And it's kind of all about me, and I should get what I want all the time. Now we could take a deeper look at how a person might come to be on either side of that continuum as well. Uh, for example, you know, we we can't talk about this and not talk about. Early childhood development and what our experiences were in our family of origin or other experiences we had relationally speaking. You know, maybe we were not allowed to um, have an opinion or uh, express ourselves without that bringing about a great deal of conflict. Uh, in our, our family system, our nuclear family. And we just learned to suppress, you know, and, and it wasn't like we suppressed, even though we knew who we were, and we suppressed, it's sort of like it just all got paused, then it just wasn't safe. And in other words, the environment didn't support us in becoming a person, a distinct and unique individual. This can often happen in enmeshed in families, where there's a strong propensity and drive for sameness and any difference uh, that's kind of sniffed out is threatening to the whole system. So therefore, someone surrenders and sacrifices their identity, their self, uh, so that they can be a part of uh, the, the larger whole because it feels way too threatening. As a child, you simply cannot go against that and uh, feel like you're going to survive. We we are dependents. We have to belong. You know, we have to have that, that tribe or that group or the, the clan that kind of in, instinctually, biologically, it's going to be very threatening to um, – y- y- you won't make it, in other words, right? So it feels life and death in that way. And that is one reason and a way that that gets – the individual gets sacrificed uh, on behalf of survival and out of dependency. So the issue arises when it comes time to launch, it comes time to establish a life of your own. And, uh, it's, it's like all of that just maybe carries forward then in any relationship you choose. It's, it's like, you're still looking and, and feeling like you're dependent on the other. So, um, <clears throat> the work on that side would be, of course, to, uh, really get clear about some of the damage that maybe occurred internally and uh, bring and, and resuscitate the self back to life and find you uh, and not, and, and maybe for the first time, you know, not, not to get back to you, but to, to really live into you and claim your own agency in your own life. The other side of that, having too high of level of narcissism or too too strong of a sense of self that cannot, uh, tolerate the other could also have been born out of a survival response. Maybe that self-preservation, uh, or the fight response or instinct had to kick in early on. And so that is the mechanism through which you have had to live your entire life because your nervous system never learned, hey, I'm no longer in threat. Uh, But if you had a very willful uh, and and maybe even abusive uh, home life, this is another... uh, manifestation of how that could occur. It's, it's like, okay, there isn't going to be anyone else here to take care of me. I got to figure this thing out. I can't trust any relationship. So here I go on my own. And there are lots of other uh, contextual uh, factors and, and ways that that could also develop. So that's just one example. But on that side, it would be how do we work through the uh, severe threat and that the extreme anxiety that would come about from uh, maybe growing to be uh, interdependent with someone, to learn to trust another and be in relationship. So that, I mean, both sides of these are a lot of work. And the really cool thing I think is that this work can occur in relationship with one another If both people are aware of this dynamic, or at least open to self-exploration, and it requires a lot of reclaiming, you know, and taking back what's, what is oneself, you know, what, oh, that's mine. I've given you myself or projected that, and I need to kind of come and find some containment within me. And on this side, we've got to crack the self open a little bit to let it you know, um to let the other in, you know it's it's like it's it's so defended it's not going to let anyone penetrate them out of you know fear of annihilation or uh, pain and and so cracking the self open, cracking your heart open a bit, letting yourself be loved, letting yourself feel. One of my absolute favorite books on narcissism is called Narcissism by Alexander Lowen. And he was a somatic or body-based uh, psychoanalyst. So he worked a lot with people um, doing certain uh, body posturing, uh, watching how they carried uh, defenses and tension in their body and various things. And his very simple definition of narcissism is people who can't feel And we can see how trauma can put all of us, we're all susceptible to that if we've gone through trauma. When we can't feel, that's a really dangerous place because we're not going to be able to empathize. We're not going to be able to relate. So I just thought it was really important to start a conversation around narcissism. And yes, there is pathology. Yes, there are diagnoses out there that people get labeled and are accurate for some people. But I think we really need to be with the multifaceted, multifacetedness of that word and be able to say, oh, we all have some narcissism in us. And you know, how do I ensure or work toward having a balance, having the capacity to have a healthy level of narcissism or self, while also being able to allow for and relate with another self. Without that, relationships tend to turn too much into subject or person and object. And you don't want to be in an object to someone or objectifying someone to, you know, be there to meet your needs or demands. You want to be able to relate person to person, human to human and heart to heart. Okay, I probably will do more episodes uh, in the future on narcissism because I know it's such a loaded topic, but I wanted to start with this today. So I thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you're interested in learning about ways to work with me, head over to my website, themoderndayromantic.com. From there, you'll be able to contact me and learn a bit more about the customized intensives and retreats I offer both individuals and couples. You'll also be able to support future podcast production via Patreon. There are several membership levels to choose from, including the Beating Hearts Club, which gives you access to exclusive content every month. Thanks so much for your support, and I'll see you next episode.